Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And on tonight's episode, we're going to get into some of the big news of the week, which involves several promotions of top prospects, headlined perhaps by Grayson Rodriguez to Bowie, except Jordan Westbrook also making the move from Delmarva to Aberdeen, Joey Ortiz going from Aberdeen to Bowie after a hot start, Johnny Riger, who continues to hit, uh, going from Aberdeen to Bowie. There were a few others in there as well that we're going to note tonight. Uh, in addition, we're going to get into a favorite topic among Orioles fans, which is Chance Cisco and the catcher's position at the major league level. As the Orioles suffered thing over the weekend by bringing up Austin Wentz and sending Cisco back to Norfolk, we'll also highlight some of the good performances of late by players who were not on our top thirty list. Uh, so a chance for some under the radar names you should follow to be mentioned on this show. But first, on the verge is brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Mercer is a third-generation family business that was established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful historic downtown Westminster, Maryland. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer. So the big promotion of the, the weekend was Grayson Rodriguez going from Aberdeen to Bowie after a very impressive start at the high A level. Um, as we're recording this episode on Wednesday night, Rodriguez is making his double-A debut against the Hartford Yard Goats, the double-A affiliate of the Rockies. So we'll probably have some live updates there once Rodriguez is finished. But so far, Rodriguez, as usual, hitting the high 90s, striking a lot of batters out in his double-A debut. And that comes on the heels of a really impressive start for him at Aberdeen. So we had talked about this a lot on our last show that we saw Rodriguez as one of the guys that could be the next big prospect to get a promotion. Um, and that's ended up what ended up being the case. So, Bob, I'll start with you. I guess you weren't really surprised by this move, but what was your reaction when you saw it? And from the little bit you have seen of Rodriguez in his double-A debut tonight, uh, how does he look? Well, certainly not surprising, but still exciting nonetheless, just to make it official. And he earned his way. I mean, he dominated high A ball, so it was only a matter of time. And Mike Elias did the right thing, made the move. And he looks pretty great. I mean, I don't know if he's a little jittery for you know, first started to double a level and that much closer to the majors, but he just looks like he throws the ball so easy and it comes out 98 to hundred miles an hour pretty consistently. And he's got great breaking balls, great, great off speed stuff. I mean, there's nothing not to like. He's let a, a few base runners on and one hard hit ball, but really he, he just looks great. He's, he's dominating double a so far. So it's going to be exciting to watch him and the rest of that double a buoy squad, uh, the rest of the season. Yeah, Bowie, Bowie's a madhouse right now of talent. Um, yeah, with Rodriguez's promotion, he had literally nothing else to prove at high A. I was fine with starting him there, but, I mean, five starts, a 45.5% strikeout rate, a .69 whip, 139 average against, and a walk rate of under 6%. Like, that's huge. All of his pitches are are elite, and he's showcasing that elite stuff in double A tonight. I have went back and kind of been skimming the game real quick, um, you know, traveling today, but – 
skimming it, he looks like he's pitched at double A this whole year up to this point. I mean, he doesn't look phased at all. I, I don't think it. Um, you know, I mentioned last week's podcast that I was hoping DL Hall stayed in double A. I figured Ali Rushman would stay for sure after all these promotions, but I was hoping DL Hall would stay because I wanted to see Grace Rodriguez, DL Hall, and Ali Rutschman all in a Bowie uniform together. Uh, they can feed off one another. The other guys in this roster can feed off one another. They have Justin, Justin Ramsey, the pitching coach there, got in the way. This whole Bowie roster and lineup with these three guys leading the way is like a massive cultural shift happening down in the farm system. It, with the Baltimore Orioles and they're winning they're winning with personality and style and ease down there in the minor leagues and it's so much fun to watch yeah Nick as you mentioned that they are 18 and 5 as of Wednesday night when we're recording this episode and they're in the lead right now over Hartford who has gotten off to a sluggish start this year so by the time this show ends they might be 19 and 5 or within a few outs of being 19 and 5 which is really an impressive start to the season for them Going back to Rodriguez, I did see his last outing at high A, which was against the Brooklyn Cyclones in Brooklyn. And it wasn't just impressive that he was hitting the high 90s with his fastball with no effort, and he's doing it late in his outing. But the movement on his off-speed pitches that night was looks like something, and I, I think it was Nick who said this, looks like something out of a video game. Um, and if he does that as consistently as he has so far to start the year, He's going to move through double A pretty easily, I think. Yeah, all his pitches are majorly quality from the looks of it. And God, the only question is the command. I think that's the only thing he's really got to work on is refining that command and putting the ball where he wants it, when he wants it. But other than that, I mean, I feel like, honestly, you could put this guy in the Orioles rotation right now and he's the second best starter. So <laughs> that's just yeah. facts. Sorry, Birdland. <laughs> No, it, that's good, though. And this is a guy that I think now that he's in double A and having a good first start like this, like even if Hartford's not that great this year, um, it's a road start at double A. And we mentioned and I was curious because you always hear like that jump from high A to double A is the biggest jump in the minor leagues. And we had Spencer Watkins on and he kind of agreed with that as well as he, he made that jump himself. But it, to see him kind of settle in pretty nicely and throw really well in this start today. Uh, is is huge. I think this is a guy that Orioles fans can really sit back and put a lot of trust into. And, and you see, you see all the guys, national level prospect guys and, and, and girls from across the country right now watching this start in Bowie right now. Rodriguez has gotten a lot of hype up to this point for sure, but I think now that he's in Double A, facing good competition, uh, that hype is just going to go through the roof, and you're going to see a lot more of that conversation of is Grayson Rodriguez the best pitching prospect in all of baseball could be the number one topic among like the minor league ranks right now. It really could. And it looks like his, his day might be done. He's finished five innings. He just struck out the uh, guy looking to end the, end the inning. He's got 71 pitches, eight strikeouts in five innings, two walks, four hits. So maybe they give him another inning, but I'm sure they'll probably just let him go out on a high note here and get ready for his next one. Let's go. Yeah, And if, if he does go on uh, after that inning, that certainly is ending on a high note. So Rodriguez is not the lone big name to go from Aberdeen to Bowie. Joey Ortiz, a shortstop, who we've talked about a lot over the initial weeks of the minor league season, uh, making that move after showing some real strides at the plate. Uh, Ortiz, when he came out of the draft out in New Mexico State in 2019, was regarded as sort of a glove-first shortstop. He's flipping the script a little bit this year as the bat is coming along. And uh, Nick, in a new piece over at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com, really got into 
uh, Ortiz's hot start and kind of, I think, broke down why there's good reason to hope that this hot start that he's had at the plate is sustainable. So, um, Nick, you saw quite a bit of Ortiz when he was at Aberdeen. What was your impression of his plate approach, and what do you expect to see from him at Double A? Yeah, I, I think I said our first episode after the, after the season started that Taron Vavra was like my new Orioles prospect crush after his hot start, but I'm falling extremely hard for Joey Ortiz right now. Like this is this is becoming my guy very quickly. Um, it wasn't that great in 2019 to be totally honest. Like the offensive numbers just were not there at all, and so you really did. He really did fit this profile of glove first kind of, you know, minor league depth shortstop that you want to keep around. But then fast forward to this year, and he's still only the 30th ranked prospect in the Orioles system right now. And we saw those quotes from Matt Blood before the season started about his brand new offensive profile. And now in Aberdeen, he hit 289, seven doubles, two triples, and had a 139 double, double WRC plus. Let me get that up right way there. Um, huge numbers with, uh, with Aberdeen this year, getting that Aberdeen to Aberdeen promotion in 2021. Then he goes to Bowie in his very first game, plays shortstop and then second base in a doubleheader. Uh, pretty good day at the play. I think it was two for six with two walks, so pretty good on base percentage there. Fantastic defense. Uh, I posted both clips. Both clips are in that article. You got to watch both of these clips. The first one, that's a major league play he makes defensively. Goes deep in the hole, snags it, guns it to first base on a line. The next one, he's in second base. He goes. He covers half the baseball field there to get to that ball. Love to see the range there. And then last night he hits a home run in Hartford, just destroys the baseball. Um, this guy's got. This guy does not look like the Joey Ortiz of 2019 at all. And this is we've talked about before. He's probably what like the sixth best shortstop prospect in this system. It's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, that's insane. But uh, speaking of Matt Blood, I know he was on the Give That Fan a podcast um, podcast earlier this season, and he shouted out Kyle Bradish and Joey Ortiz as the two guys he would you know, really like to shout out and tell Orioles fans to keep an eye on and look at this. They're both quickly promoted and both showing why he's so high on them. Uh, yeah, I mean, he just looks natural out there. I love the mustache he's sporting. Uh, great infield, up the middle, defense and offense between him and Taron Vavra. Bowie is just, God, they are just, they started off the season, we talked about it, where on the offense they didn't have that much upside other than Adley and a couple other guys. And now Caden Grenier is like blowing the doors off after I pronounced him dead. Like he's the undertaker coming back to life. Uh, I guess he's feeling that competition between Ortiz and Vavra and all these guys that are fighting their way up the system. So, and Robert Newstrom hit a freaking 400 million foot blast yesterday too. So Bowie Ortiz, it's all good. Yeah, and with Ortiz moving up, we also get the promotion of Jordan Westberg from Delmarva to Aberdeen. That was a potential move that we talked about a lot last week because it had not happened yet, but for a lot of reasons it made sense to us for the Orioles to go ahead and move Westberg up. And uh, sure enough, that's exactly what they did. Westberg looked really good at the plate Delmarva, um, and defensively they moved him around a little bit because of Gunnar Henderson being at shortstop. And from what we saw of Westberg, primarily at third base, he looked good defensively. So an encouraging start for him. Um, Bob, do you see that being sustainable for him at Aberdeen? I don't know if he'll continue to keep an OPS above 1,000 for the whole season there. But, I mean, I think he is a mature hitter. I think he was just a little bit above the competition at low A. And 
I think it won't be too much different at high A. I don't know if he's going to force his way all the way to double A before the end of the season, but he's a you know seasoned college hitter and showed great at the instructs and the summer camp last year. And he just looks like a pro up there. And I, I expect him to hit around 300 and with some pretty decent power. So if, as long as he just keeps, you know, doing his thing, I think we'll be happy. And maybe he gets a taste of Bowie in August, September. But either way, he'll start there next season. And and then you're not far away from the majors. Yeah, I think this was a pretty easy one. I think a lot of people probably also want to see Gunnar Henderson moved up as well with Jordan Westberg, who Henderson just hit his, what, eighth home run or seventh home, eighth home run of the year today. Just mashed the baseball, dropped the bat. I was waiting for the flip. He gave the look, but he didn't do the flip. Uh, that will come. Um, but yeah, with Westberg, I mean, he had like almost 500 on base percentage down at Aberdeen, 13% walk rate. Those are great numbers. And you saw a little bit of the pop. He had that grand slam, like one of his first games of the season. I think he had two home runs uh, with Aberdeen. So he's flashed that power potential a little bit. A WRC plus of 194. Like that's absurd. Uh, 94% above average is just a monster. Yeah, those numbers probably aren't sustainable for sure. But now he's in high A and he's going to face this uh, these more advanced pitching, which I think would be is where he needs to be right now. Um, I was fine with him starting in Delmarva as well because he hadn't played in almost two years. But I do think that if he plays just if he's a 280 hitter, it shows a little bit of pop and the defense continues to improve. I don't see why he can't end the season in Bowie. And if you're Bowie, you're kind of like Alabama right now. You're just replacing guys. You replace Kyle Bradish with Grace Rodriguez. You might lose Taron Vavra, but you're going to replace him with Jordan Westberg. I mean, and with Westberg, for me, he was the 2020 draft pick that I had the most questions about and the most concern about because you always heard, like, he can do A and B really well, but we haven't really seen it yet. So we don't know if he can do that or not. And he's showing a lot of that right now early on in his career. Yeah, the raw power was one of the big questions that I think a lot of evaluators had about Westberg was, you know, he you saw glimpses of it, but it didn't necessarily come across in his college stats at Mississippi State. Um, based on what we saw in Delmarva over, you know, again, about 91 plate appearances, to hit three homers, to leave there as a 592 slugging percentage, that's just, you know, a couple of numbers to roll off. But the power, it looks like, was there for him. And you started to get a little bit more of the sense that that ceiling that you hear about with Westbrook is him as a potential 2020 threat at his peak uh, could be possible, especially because Westbrook did get out of Delmarva with uh, five steals and six attempts, which is good over the stretch that he was there. So he's showing speed. He's showing some power. Um, as I mentioned, he got some time at third base, which is a position that some believe he may end up uh, playing, but, you know, now we'll get to see him. We did get to see him at shortstop a little bit at Delmarva, and now we'll get to see him more at Aberdeen. So I think there's a question to, you know, a chance to answer some questions about his defense as well. Yeah, certainly. I think he'll probably be more of a second or third baseman long term, but you got to, you know, play him at shortstop, you know, while you can, while there's room to do so. And maybe he can prove that he can stay there. But back to his power, it's interesting that I think he was a guy that, when we drafted him, he was noted for having high exit velocities. And that screams like Elias must be thinking, Hey, hit the ball hard. We just get you to lift it a couple degrees. And all of a sudden the balls are flying out of the park. And he obviously only has three home runs, but he's hitting the ball with authority. And as long as they can continue to tweak that, then he could be a 20 homer guy at the major league level. 
I mean, he had five doubles and a triple as well. So, I mean, he's finding the gaps down there when he was with Delmarva. And I think kind of forecasting out, I could definitely see him moving over to second base, which would be huge. Like if you have, we haven't seen Kobe Mayo yet, but I go back to like that infield that I'm dreaming of right now is Jordan Westberg at second base, Gunnar Henderson at shortstop, Kobe Mayo at third base for the Baltimore Orioles in four years or something like that. I could see that. No doubt. And Westbrook starting to answer those questions. Gunnar Henderson starting to answer those questions. Like it's so hard not to get extremely excited right now watching these kids down in the minor league system. Like I said last night on our Twitter page that I have not enjoyed baseball this much probably ever in my life, to be totally honest. And it's watching these minor league teams right now in the Orioles system. And the GCL hasn't even started where all these young high upside guys and international guys are going to get started. So yeah, it's all excitement. You, we saw uh, these guys get promoted from Delmarva, and what do you know? There's T.T. Bowens and Greg Cullen show up and taking huge hacks and look like they could be players. So it's like a constant stream right now, and Elias still hasn't really got his teeth sunk into the system fully yet. Just wait till it's top to bottom, his, his guys. That's going to be great. Rodriguez, Ortiz, and Westbrook probably are the biggest names uh, to be promoted since we were last on the air last week. But there were a few others we wanted to note as well, including J.D. Mundy going from Delmarva to Aberdeen, uh, Johnny Riser going from Aberdeen to Bowie. Um, and Riser, as I mentioned at the top of the show, since he was drafted in 2019, he has just hit at every level, showed some decent defense in the outfield. Um, and Blaine Knight making the move from Aberdeen to Bowie and – Perhaps uh, for now, climbing a lot of the concerns that I think many, including ourselves, had about him coming into this year after kind of an up and down 2019. Um, so I'll start with Nick. Just general thoughts on those three. Yeah, Monday is definitely interesting right now, for sure. He hit a home run in his high A, de- high a debut yesterday. He's really outperformed expectations. I think I figured by now he'd probably have like a 40% strikeout rate hitting like 215 in Marva. But he hit 324 with more walks and strikeouts and 10 extra base hits. Uh, so I don't know how high his ceiling is, but for right now, he's a lot of fun to watch. And he's part of this huge 2020 undrafted free agent class. It's just playing extremely well right now. Uh, Blaine Knight, uh, yeah, I mean, fantastic numbers. Almost 18 innings, one walk when he was with Aberdeen in high A, 16 strikeouts. He looked awful in Frederick. I had pretty much written him off. He was a group of guys, a small group of guys that I had complete, to be honest, I had completely written off right now. And there's another guy that we may talk about later on that I am starting to be a little bit intrigued by again. Um, another guy who was in Frederick back in 2019, but that's great to see Blaine Knight. If he can come out and be something that's special. Uh, and Johnny Riser, Yeah. I mean, this is a guy I've said before, he's a high floor guy and all he's done is hit since he's been in the system. He's got a 309 career batting average in 79 minor league games with the Orioles right now. Um, good, good, solid depth piece. This is this is a guy you want to pluck from. I mentioned Robert Newstrom a couple weeks ago. If you can pluck from Robert Newstrom, who can hit almost 500-foot home runs outside of stadiums, and guys like Johnny Reiser, those are good depth pieces you want to have in AAA. And so if something does happen, you're not bringing up a Mason Williams or something again in the future when this team's ready to compete at the major league level. Yeah, I'll start with Riser. I mean, he went three for five, and he had another hit tonight so far in his double-A debut this week, so that's great. And I think Hudson Haskin will soon be in Aberdeen to take his place because he's he hit another home run tonight as well. He's killing the ball in single-A, low-A. Uh, Blaine Knight, I talked about him a lot last week on my scouting trip to Aberdeen. Uh, 
he's not listed as a starter this week for Bowie. Either is Kevin Smith. So that tells me maybe Kevin yeah. Smith will be soon promoted to AAA at some point this week or next week. And Blaine Knight, if you, you got him piggybacking someone coming out of the bullpen, that's that's pretty solid as well. And J.D. Mundy, yeah. I mean, just a big boy can hit. I mean, we'll see how long you can keep it going. <laughs> it's good. Him and da- I think Dashback's been uh, playing a lot better since <laughs> this week since Mundy got the call. So if that's the this the uh, in what he needed to get going, then all the power to it. Yeah, I think the one that continues to stand out for me is Riser because you know Nick Benson, three hundred nine career hitter since he was drafted back in twenty nineteen, eight forty six career OPS. The bat looks really good, and when you have a you know when you're an outfielder that can move around the outfield the way that Riser does, and you have a good stroke from the left side, I think you got you know a high you have the potential to be a pretty high floor player uh, at the higher levels of the system. I do want to see him in center field a little bit more. Uh, because we hear a lot about his speed. Zach Watson got the bulk of the starts uh, early on in center field at Aberdeen, which makes sense. I understand why you want to run Watson out there. But I would like to see Riser get a little bit more time in center field, um, because based on what you hear about his speed, while it's not you know up to the level of, say, an Adam Hall, it's pretty good. And I think center field would be a good way for him to showcase that. Yeah. I like that. Um, you're seeing a lot of guys in this system. The Orioles put them in center field right now. Even your guys like your Adam Halls, and they tried Richie Martin. Unfortunately, it, it killed Richie Martin. But you're trying it with these other guys. Um, some other, another guy we'll talk about later on as well too. But with going, yeah, I, I want to go back to Kevin Smith though for a second, real quick. Is are there? Do you guys know? Are there like COVID protocols to go from Double A AA to Triple A? Because Triple A is that in that like MLB bubble. Because I don't understand why you would take Kevin Smith out of Bowie's rotation when he was had a 1.06 ERA through 17 innings and 22 strikeouts and was pitching as well as he is. That makes me wonder if maybe he's going through COVID protocols right now and he will be promoted to AAA. I don't know. Blaine Knight, I can see piggybacking, work him two, three innings right now to, to warm into it. But the Kevin Smith one, I, I'm raising my eyebrows a little bit there. He's actually pitching right now for Bowie behind oh, Grayson okay. Rodriguez. So... I don't know if maybe that's just like a we'll piggyback him now to set him up to be in Norfolk's rotation next week or something like that, or they just have too many good pitchers at Bowie and that's probably maybe they'll take turns who starts, who relieves. I don't know, but I thought the same thing too before I just checked and saw that. So that's it was a good point, and I still don't know the answer. (laughs) Yeah, I do see that now. Oh well, there goes that dream. Soon enough. Very soon. So J.D. Mundy and Kevin Smith are two of the names that appear in Bob's latest Down on the Farm piece, his weekly look at the minor leagues. Um, In addition, Adley Rutzman is in there in the on-fire category, uh, while in the ice cold, Taron Vavra, Jordan Cannon, and Isaac Matson make the list after sluggish weeks. Uh, Bob, anything you want to share about that piece? Yeah, I had fun putting it together. It came out a day late because of the holiday, but Rutschman, of course, he's over eight since I put him on on the on fire list. So he'll be back on ice cold next week, back where he belongs. No, I'm sure he's fine. He's still taking good at bats. Um, Isaac Matson is really weird to me because he's just getting lit up like he's Matt Harvey or something because he has given up. I think it's like 13 hits or maybe nine hits. He's given up a lot of hits. Let's just say that in a short amount of time on the season. And I really hope he can turn it around because I know we were high on him all last year and and continue to be but it just hasn't happened yet 
Um, Cannon, yeah, not much to say there. I think he's he'll be in Delmarva all season, as far as I can tell, unless they do like a whole catcher transition at some point. And Taron Vavro seems like he's back back doing Taron Vavro things because he's got a couple hits today. He had a couple hits yesterday, so nothing to worry about there. Yeah. Uh, Matson is weird because he actually, like, everything looks good to me. Like, I'm no scout or anything, but he looks good out there on the mound. He's this big-bodied guy who looks like – and he's throwing upper 90s. I mean, 97, I think 98 miles an hour. Norfolk was in Charlotte. He got to pitch, and they, they're I think they have a radar gun. They're one of the good broadcasts uh, that gives us the good information. And this guy is throwing hard, and he looks like everything looks like it's going well, but he's just not getting the results. So yeah, I don't know what's going on with there. I thought maybe going doing the up and down between you know Norfolk and Baltimore might have hurt him, but he's been in Norfolk for a while now, and it's not getting better, uh, which is unfortunate. It's still a hundred games left in the season. Uh, but Jordan Cannon, I, I did. I we talked about. I think Bob, you're the one that made the note about his arm last week. I watched. I think it was last night's game. He was behind the plate, and um, the the cannon is it's there in the bat. He hits the ball hard. He had a few good hits, but um, I was scratching my head watching him play defense out there. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Maybe a transition to first base, maybe uh, in his future, yeah. but at least yeah. the cannon, you know, it it's accurate on half the, half the side of the ball. Well, as uh, talking about catcher defense is a good way to segue into our next segment, which is the Orioles um, on the tail end of their losing streak made a move at catcher, opting Francisco down to AAA Norfolk and bringing up Austin Wins. Uh, in the week or so, uh, days, however you want to term it, leading up to that move, there had seemed to be more and more notes from the Orioles' uh, core beat writers about how much that catching tandem of Pedro Severino and San Cisco has struggled since the second half of last season, uh, both offensively and defensively. And Cisco now finds himself in Norfolk. And I think it's probably a move to go down um, and work a little bit of both offense and defense. I saw a quote from Brandon Hyde. I believe it was uh, in the Baltimore Sun, although I'm sure it was printed by other outlets as well, talking about how he wants to see Cisco get back to his plate approach and driving the ball a little bit more like he did in the minor leagues and like we have not seen in the major leagues so far. Coming up, though, is Wins, who we talked about this a little bit on our last show. You know the defense is solid, and I have to think that's part of what motivated this move right now is let's stabilize the position defensively because the Orioles do have another good catcher at Norfolk and Brett Cumberland, who I'm anxious to see at the major league level this year but I can understand to a certain extent why they went with wins now because you need someone who has major league experience who is going to make that position better defensively and knows how to work with some more experienced pitchers. So I'll start with Bob here. What was your thoughts on that move? <laughs> Long time coming, and I'm surprised it wasn't both catchers getting the boot at the same time. No, uh, Austin wins off to a really good start with the bat for Norfolk, but it's Austin wins. I mean, he's like you said, he's solid behind, behind the plate. He can manage a pitching staff. You know, he's pretty good about catching the ball. Unlike our other catchers on the Orioles. And he's, he's a nice stopgap. I'm not surprised that they brought him up either just because he's, he's hot. Plus I feel like he's just a little bit more reliable defensively. Cumberland, not going to give you much better than Severino or Cisco behind the plate, but I do like his upside with the bat. I do think we'll see him at some point this season, but also wins as a guy who 
Severino is probably still going to see the majority of the starts behind the plate. So you want to give Cumberland as many at-bats as possible at AAA. Don't need to block him just yet, limit his at-bats. So I completely understand the move. I'm glad it happened, and hopefully it's motivation for Severino. He can get going, get traded, and then Cumberland can come up as well. Yeah, I don't. I don't really care that wins is up. To be honest, I, I wish him well. He just he just doesn't excite me. But I, I do get why you want to bring him up because he's been in the system for like seventeen years, so he knows these guys, uh, and he does have that reputation. I don't think you're going to keep him around as your AAA guy, your AA guy, your emergency catcher if you didn't really like what he brought to the table. Uh, even if it's not the offensive statistics, uh, his off the field stuff is probably what you you want to see there. So that I mean that's good that he's up working with these guys. Um, I honestly. Would rather, much rather see Brett Cumberland. He has an on-base percentage of close to 400 right now in Norfolk. I am scared about how much he can hit at the major league level, like how high are their strikeout numbers going to be and how high is he really going to hit. But I think he can give you, if you give him full-time duties or a good chunk of duties at the major league level, I think he's going to give you some really fun stretches of offensive play. Defense, we'll see. You know, but you know, I, I, hate, I really do hate being negative uh, because I know that I couldn't strike out Chance Cisco if I had 1,000 chances. And I'm not putting on catching gear and crouching behind the plate and trying to catch anybody. So uh, credit to Chance Cisco there. But if you are a regular listener, regular listener to the show, you know that Chance Cisco and Pat Faleka really set me off just saying those names. And uh, when I saw this, I got angry uh, a little bit that he was going down to Norfolk. But that's fine. He's a veteran guy. Uh, but I did create. I wanted to uh, talk about this. I created a a power ranking of the catchers down in Norfolk. Um, if anyone is interested, we have after the, all the shakeup, there's a lot of shakeup. So we have Brett Cumberland, number one, that's your top option. You got Taylor Davis. Uh, he's actually been hitting the ball extremely well for Norfolk. Um, works the camera pretty well. So bonus points there. Uh, three, I've got Nick Shufo with his broken hand or finger, whatever he has broken. He's number three I'd put in. Four is Ryland Bannon with his strained oblique. He's four in the, the power rankings for just catcher in Norfolk. Uh, five, I got Riptide. Uh, the the mascot. And if you've seen Riptide, he's he's got a pretty thick lower half. So I mean, <laughs> he's not going to move very well, but he's a big guy, so he's he's there. Uh, six is Trident, the other uh, mascot after the rebrand they did in Norfolk. I think he's a seahorse, so he's got a little quickness to him back there. Uh, and then seven and a half, Chance Cisco. So if if anybody was interested in that, there you go. I saw the Ryland Bannon coming. I love it. <laughs> I didn't see the mascots coming. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got the sense that something was coming up, like maybe Mike Piazza's rehab appearance, whatever year that was. But Mike was Piazza there, now, yeah. But the mascots, I did not see them coming that far up on the power ranking ahead of San Francisco. Um, but I do want to talk about Cumberland for a minute, though, because we've you know discussed him quite a bit on this show. I think the profile of the bat has always been that the power maybe has not come along quite the way that many had hoped when he was originally drafted by the Braves out of Cal, I believe. Um, but he gets on base. Uh, he knows how to work the count. He knows how to draw walks. And even if he's not really hitting for home run power, uh, you can look at some of his swings, whether it was in spring training this year or uh, some highlights from Norfolk, and he really can drive the ball. And as a left-handed hitter, can take the ball the other way sometimes. Yes, yeah, certainly. I mean... He's everything you want in a offensive-minded backup catcher slash DH, and I don't see the harm in giving him a chance sometime soon. I don't know what the upside is or what you can even get from Severino or Cisco moving forward. I'm curious if we'll ever see Cisco in Orioles uniform again, or if 
he's kind of going to languish in AAA and then get DFA'd when they need the roster spot because I think a lot of guys are just going to pass him up very soon. Yeah, and he's a switch hitter. Carmelo is a switch hitter, guys, so that helps as well. The on-base numbers, yeah, 377 career on-base percentage of the minor leagues. I think that's huge. Um, I think the bat can come around. It seemed like he did a lot of work over quarantine and the, and the break to get better there. I saw a lot of comments there. and I think it was John Mioli who got a camp report out of him that said the Orioles liked his offensive profile and the changes that he was making. So, yeah, I don't see any harm in bringing him up either, except maybe you do want to see him get on a real hot stretch like wins. I think Michael Eisen made that comment. He doesn't want to bring you up unless you're hot. Or maybe I was listening to something else, and that there's a lot to that, where if you bring a guy up when he's struggling, well, now he's pressing from the start on top of being nervous and jittery from making the big jump. But if you're hot, you're feeling it, you're in a groove. So maybe you bring up Cumberland then. But, yeah, I mean, there's a, just so much – there's good catching depth down the minor leagues that I think you can easily replace him. Even you go down to Bowie, and a guy like Chris Hudgens, Honestly, he's been playing pretty well. He's not getting a lot of base hits, but he walks a lot as well. And defensively, you can start to see some of the, the Adley Rutschman mannerisms that he has behind the plate, getting up, greeting guys at the pitcher's mound after each inning. Uh, he's been a, a pretty good defensive catcher as well and a guy that I don't think you mind at all. He's a minor league phase rule five pick this year. He's the guy that I don't think you mind at all putting in AAA and working with some of these pitchers as they move up the system either. So bring up Cumberland. I don't. There's no harm in it. I will throw this out there about Cumberland, and I'm curious to hear what you guys think about this. So Cumberland will be 26 next month, um, actually later this month. Uh, drafted in 2016 by Atlanta in the competitive balance round. Um, despite that, does not actually have a ton of professional experience. 339 career games coming into tonight. Um, and the last season he played in 2019 only appeared in 60 games. So injuries have kind of limited his experience level a little bit. Do you think that the Orioles maybe want to see him? And I don't, you know, I don't have a number in mind, and I don't know the Orioles have a number in mind either. But do you Orioles? Do you think the Orioles want to see him stay healthy for an extended stretch of time, get as much time to AAA down there as he can, and then bring him up? Um, especially with you know maybe the possibility that Pedro Severino does turn things around to plate a little bit. Um, that you could get something from his trade deadline. I'm not counting on that, but maybe it happens. Yeah, I think that could be the case, you know, and I almost think it's more likely that Severino gets non-tendered this coming off season than traded, but you never know. I mean, he hit a home run last night. He has been walking more of late, so we'll see. Maybe he can catch a hot streak like he did in the first half of 2020. Yeah, and... I guess I said I just said there is no harm in bringing him up, but I guess the one hesitation I would have is that you can bring up like Ryan McKenna can go up and down. I mean, center field is largely center field minus a few adjustments park to park. But, you know, with a catcher, you got to work with this entire staff and you got to get to know guys and their intricacies and all their pitches. And then you got to start scouting the opponents. So maybe you don't if you bring up Brett Cumberland and he really struggles, you kind of want to you don't want to have to send him right back down to triple A. And if you bring him up and you get rid of Pedro Severino, well, now you're stuck with having to bring Chance Cisco back up, which I don't think anybody wants to see. Uh, and then after that, like you really have nobody um, that I think is quite ready. Like I just mentioned Hudgens, but you know he doesn't have that much experience at double A level either. So then you're probably looking at the waiver wire for a catcher. Um, so I guess that would be my only hesitation is, yeah, make sure he's healthy and then bring him up. Yeah, and then, yeah. yeah, this is a larger discussion, but you know, we're, I think we're all wondering when we see Adley Rutzman in Norfolk, especially if he continues to hit the way that he is. 
Yeah, I know. I I did bring that up in my down on the farm article this week, and I know you want to get him as much time with Grayson and Hall together as possible. But maybe DL Hall could they could go to Norfolk together, hand in hand, just like in our profile picture or our uh, banner on uh, our Twitter account. Uh, I would think another month or two at Double A. I don't think there's any real rush because, no pun intended, because I don't. We know that he, they're not bringing him up this season, no matter what. So. Yeah, I was going to say that exact thing that I think when D.L. Hall is ready to go to AAA or when the Orioles are ready to move D.L. Hall to AAA, I think that's when you see Ali Rutschman go up as well. Because right now, I mean, who in Norfolk are you really eager to get? I mean, other than maybe Cal Bradish, obviously, but I mean, there's no one in Norfolk where you're like, we need Ali Rutschman behind the plate right now working with these guys to move them all along to the major leagues later on in the year. I don't think there's anybody at that level right now. So when D.L. Hall's ready, then I think you see them both go together. That would certainly be interesting to see if we see Rutzman and Hall make that move to AAA. Um, if not simultaneously, then perhaps within uh, a few days or a week of each other. Something to keep an eye on for later this summer, especially if they continue to produce the way they have at Bowie. Um, each week now on, on the Birds, we try to get into a discussion about a player who's outside the top 30 prospect list that we published back in January and we'll update sometime in July or August uh, and talk a little bit about their performance, whether it's been the last week or so, what has stood out to us, or maybe it's just an individual game. Uh, We started this segment for the first time last week and now it's a real thing because it's back for the second week in a row. Um, And I'll get us started here with a note on Cameron Bissup. Uh, On Tuesday night, Bissup pitched at Hartford and was pretty much dominant. Five innings, two hits, uh, no runs, no walks, and a season-high 12 strikeouts. Uh, with that performance, Bissup now has a total of let's hold on one second, uh, 25 strikeouts in 20 innings pitched with uh, the six walks. 4-4-3 ERA because he's had a couple of relief outings that have brought that number up a little bit. But Bissup... Uh, is a guy who was really impressive back in 2018 at Del Marva. Barely walked anybody, pitched really well. 2019 went to Frederick and struggled a little bit. And in a trend that we've noted a few times on this show with some other pitchers, when they make that jump from Del Marva to Frederick, sometimes the ERA and the walk rate come up a little bit. And that was certainly the case for Bishop. This year, though, uh, Bishop has been cutting back on his walks. Currently, his walk per nine innings is 2.7 after he posted a 4.8 mark uh, at Frederick in 2019, over 113 and two-thirds innings pitched. Um, So the left-hander, off to a solid start after pitching in the bullpen and the rotation so far. That dominant outing, though, at Hartford on Tuesday being the big highlight of his season so far. Yeah, if this pitching development in this new regime is going to not only draft their own guys and develop them, but turn these reclamation products in, like Cody Sedlock last year, Blaine Knight, and uh, Cameron Bishop this year into potential studs or at least solid, you know, depth pieces, watch out, baseball, because the Orioles will be dominant for years to come. I mean, I had definitely written off Cameron Bishop after his 2019 season. And, God, he looked like John Means out there last night. He, like, doubled his strikeout total on the season in five innings with 12. And, yeah, man, that changeup looked good. It looked really good. 
Yeah, I I mentioned, I think, briefly in passing in, in an earlier episode that I was interested in seeing Cameron Bishop, what he had this year, just because you mentioned back in 2018, he in low A, he was good, 9-7 and seven with a 2.94 ERA. I mean, that's fantastic. I know he's a college guy, so, of course, he's probably a little bit older for the level maybe. But And Frederick, like, I mean, I hate to say this, but I'm kind of, kind of glad, you know, there's still baseball in Frederick. Uh, I mean, uh, the keys are still there, but I'm kind of glad our pitchers don't have to go down and pitch in Frederick anymore if, based off what we're seeing. Uh, these guys who all struggled in Frederick in, in 2019 have all rebounded this year pretty much, uh, and Bishop's definitely one of them. I mean, this is a guy that maybe is back on the radar, may, maybe not, I don't know, but I will note that our last week picks, right after our last episode, J.D. Mundy was one of our picks, and he was promoted Felky Peralta threw two more scoreless innings, and Daryl Hernandez uh, really starting to settle in the plate, even showing some opposite uh, field power. So I think this segment is a uh, good luck charm for these guys. So Cameron Bishop, watch out. <laughs> yeah. So if that's the case, who's the next player that could get good luck from this segment? Uh, I know Nick has someone to highlight. Yeah, this is the type of guy that I actually had in mind when I pitched this idea. Uh, I'm going with Zach Jarrett, the Norfolk Tides, mostly because I want to talk about somebody on Norfolk right now because they're, I know, they're, they're playing bad, whatever, um, and they're getting crushed tonight again. They, they play so well, win a couple games in a row, and then they just get annihilated. But uh, Wander Franco couldn't beat the Norfolk Tides all by himself last night. Um, but Zach Jarrett, just a guy who's really quietly at every level, has done his job, puts his head down and done his job pretty well career 267 hitter and so far uh in norfolk he's 10 for 31 so a 323 batting average with a home run and a double uh, they've got him playing center field a lot out there at harbor park and he had a really good catch the other day where he crashed into the center field wall came up a little gingerly but he was all fine he's been playing ever since so i just think he deserves a shout out um you know him and willie yawn are teaming up in this norfolk outfield and surprisingly playing really well so it's cool to see he'll, he'll Dale Jarrett's son out there, uh, NASCAR guy, turned baseball. It's working for him so far. Yeah, it's cool to see. You know, Norfolk's uh, roster is just ravaged by injuries and promotions and whatever else is going on, especially to the higher-profile guys. So it's definitely cool to see even J.C. Encarnacion, who's played for every single minor league team this year in the Orioles system. Uh, it's cool to see those guys get a chance, and Jarrett is running with it so far. I mean, he's he's hitting the ball good, even if it doesn't last or he eventually moves back down to Billy. It's still a cool moment for him, and it's definitely cool to see. Yeah, you know, Norfolk has been, I, I think, the, you know, they're really struggling, um, but their roster has been hit hard by injuries and then players having to shuffle back and forth between uh, AAA and the majors. That you have a guy like Jarrett who can come up in the pinch and step in and play as well as he has is impressive. And I know that he's, you know, not in that conversation, the top outfield prospects. We don't know, you know, how much time he'll get at AAA going forward if, players do start getting off the injured list or come down from the majors, but to see him hitting as well as he has is impressive. So I know now that Bob has someone he wants to uh, profile. Yeah, you know, I saw the name Xavier Moore pop up on my uh, box score reviewing lately this season, and it's a guy who I, I know I saw that he had pitched at the GCL two years ago for the Orioles, but I he wasn't really on my radar, but he's got 22 strikeouts in 12 and two thirds innings with only 
Well, it is a lot of walks, but compared to the strikeouts, it's not too bad. Seven walks and eight hits allowed. He's got a 3.55 ERA, and he pitched tonight for Delmarva. I don't know what happened. He only threw 30 pitches and came out after two innings, and he didn't strike anybody out, walked two, gave up one run. So hopefully he's okay, but I was just doing some homework into how the Orioles got him, and he was actually a 16th round pick by the Texas Rangers in 2017. And then he was involved. Uh, Michael Elias traded for him. The Twins, on the same day, the Twins traded for him. And then the Orioles traded for him as well for cash considerations. And I mean, it seems like he's a guy with, with some potential. He's striking guys out. He has gotten ground balls to a decent amount in the past. It's kind of even so far this year. But I don't know. Just a guy who is pitching well for single A Delmarva and just the way our pitching development has been improved under the Elias regime. It seems like they noticed something that they liked about him and they're working with it. And he's 22 years old. So a tiny bit old for Delmarva, but hopefully he continues to work and gets to Aberdeen sometime this year. Yeah, he has been impressive this year. And I think that, you know, you always want to keep an eye on guys like that, like Bob said, where they come over from another organization um, since Michael Elias has come in. Because obviously, you know, no matter how the move is made, whether it's a waiver claim or, you know, a small deal for cash considerations, if they're going to go out and bring somebody in, I think that they, there's at least something there that makes them intrigued. And with more... Um, I go back to one of his better outings this year, which was on May 14th, seven strikeouts and four scoreless innings against the Fredericksburg Nationals. Now, I know Fredericksburg is, you know, we talked about Hartford early on. Fredericksburg is another team that struggled this year. But the strikeout numbers with Moore have been really good. Uh, hopefully, whatever happened tonight, uh, it, he's okay, and he'll be back on the mound soon. But if he can keep those strikeout numbers up, he's a guy that I think definitely warrants watching closely. With Xavier Moore, the one thing, I think it was after that big performance that that you just mentioned, but the one thing that I always go back to watching him this year is what Stephen Loftus said, our our colleague at BaltimoreSportsLife.com, is that it doesn't matter what level you pitch at, even if you're pitching in the JUCO ranks and not even a top JUCO program, if you're striking guys out at the rate that Xavier Moore is striking guys out at, like that's a skill that's going to translate as you move up the system. So. That's definitely a reason why. Just to keep an eye out if you're watching these guys, if you're watching Delmarva because you have your MILB TV package and you're not watching the Major League Baltimore Orioles because you don't want to be sad anymore. Uh, Xavier Moore is definitely a guy to keep an eye on. Yeah, so we look forward to continuing to discuss players like this each week with that segment. Uh, and we will we'll be back next week for our 46th episode. We're getting closer to that milestone number of 50. Uh, and I know the listeners have been a big part of that. Bob, Nick, and I have a few weeks to plan for what that episode might look like, um, and we'll have more details when it gets closer. But in the meantime, continue to check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com for the latest articles on the Orioles, Ravens, college sports, and more. There's also been some good soccer coverage on there lately. Uh, hop on the message board, join the discussion, and continue to follow us on Twitter at BSL on the Birds. We'll be back with a new episode next week. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Verge.